0: Monday, September 20th, Just Baseball Show, getting you primed for a massive week of baseball by talking about the FOMO that Arm, Leighton and I had from not being in Syracuse, New York. Yeah. Listen, you were credentialed at City Field for Sunday Night Baseball. I was in Laramie, Wyoming. I checked a state off my bucket
1: list, and yet we wanted to be in Central New York. What are we doing? Dude, you know, you only graduate once, right? And this is the weirdest thing ever because we graduated a year and a half ago. (laughs) And it's like this delayed thing where I didn't think everybody would be so on board with this, but every person we knew essentially from Syracuse was there. Uh, Including Peter who proudly walked the stage and I'm happy for him. Uh, But yeah, we had some, we had some FOMO there. Uh, I I definitely was like, man, that kind of looks fun. Uh, One more weekend in college. I texted you and was like, convince me that i shouldn't want to be there right now we kind of just bashed syracuse to make ourselves feel better but it we wanted to be there FOMO, fomo is a powerful thing but the thing is is if we were there then i'd have the fomo of like oh i wish i was a city field credentialed right now that would have been the coolest thing ever yeah. so yeah. you can't win the human mind sucks yeah the human mind sucks
0: i think you and i both know that um here's my thing about that The way that I tried to convince you that we didn't need to be there, I was thinking about Syracuse in January or February. Exactly, Syracuse in the middle of September is one of the more stunning places
1: on planet Earth. Um, Don't mention that because we were like we were reaching. (laughs) I was like grasping for straws. Like I have to get on a plane, and Syracuse (laughs) is like it's 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 not. What are we going to do during the day? Like it'll be fun at night, but there's not that much going on there, and uh, both our families wouldn't be able to make it. So like we would just be tagging along with other families, whatever. It, it helped a little bit.
0: Yeah, it did help a little bit. And the reality is both of our families couldn't be there. So maybe we would share a hotel room and put it on the Just Baseball tab.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or I'd uh, Venmo request you.
0: Yeah, that works. Or I would Venmo request you because I want the points. I got a Bonvoy credit card. so that Oh, you big. did? Yes. You did? Yes. And you,
1: you go hotel points.
0: Yeah, I love hotel points. Really? Yeah. I like I like flight miles. Yeah. So that was like the close runner up.
1: It was a very tight race. <laughs> are you, you think you'll ever pivot from a hotel points guy? Or are you like I, I can already see you as being the dad, like, hey, we're staying here, kids. Uh dad's got points.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm here for dad's got points. I want to be points, dad.
1: You're That's you're so basically already a dad.
0: <laughs> Man, I've got the dad hat on from just baseball. Check us out direct link, baseball.com. Go get your merch. Uh, It's some good stuff. I do want to shout out my shirt because unfortunately I'm not wearing a shirt right now from Breaking Tea. Uh, By the way, the Just Baseball collection at Breaking Tea, but I'm wearing a Head First Honor Roll Camp shirt and this was the camp for the kids that were smart slash maybe kind of, sort of okay at baseball (laughs) in high school. And this camp was really just to validate if you were good or not. Um, and then you could have the high academic D three come after you, yeah. or maybe the high academic D one that is like five and twenty five on a yearly basis. This was a great camp,
1: it, and the funny part is, of course, I instantly recognized that. We I'm pretty <laughs> sure we had some similar profiles here uh, in high school, but head first. They didn't even pay us for this. Uh, maybe they, maybe we should reach out. Hey, yeah. hey, we, we can gas you up, but no, it was a cool opportunity. And uh, I didn't get a shirt or at least I didn't keep it, but uh, it was a cool opportunity to play in front of some of those D threes. It it opened up a lot of tough decisions for me, honestly, between Syracuse and, and playing uh, division three baseball. But I think with the way my body broke down uh, first year of club that I played with you, we went to Penn state and, yeah. um, This was my first series. My big debut was 30 degrees out, which by the way, I've never played baseball in anywhere under 60 degrees. I I grew up in South Florida. Uh, So that that in itself was miserable. I'm in the outfield with a hoodie. Um, And I went to make a throw at home. I've always had like shoulder issues, which was part of the reason why I didn't want to play in college Um, and went to make a throw and just pop. And uh, that was where the labrum went from partially torn to fully torn. And uh, that was it. That was that was the club baseball career for me was uh, three games at Penn State, labrum torn on the first one and two miserable subsequent games. Uh, And then that was it. That was the Syracuse, illustrious Syracuse club baseball career for me. Yeah, I think that actually tied a bow because that was year two for me because I
0: actually made the team as a freshman (laughs) Uh, eat shit beast. Yeah, I know. I'm a stud. Um, No, that was, I think, it for me because i pitched i pretty much threw until my arm fell off which was six innings after not having played long toss in (laughs) a couple of months so just going zero to 100 but i think i still have video from that at bat you remember that i hadn't had a legitimate at bat in three years and i get in the box against this kid and i strike out i work a full count but i strike out looking which hurt um but i can dig up that video and have it on a we can throw that on TikTok. I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, let Let's talk about baseball right now because we do have a couple of things to go over. Let's start with the National League Wild Card because this is where the real intrigue is. The Padres are two and eight over their last ten. The Cardinals are nine and one over their last ten. The Padres' implosion has been best represented by what the hell happened Saturday night between Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. Yeah. What
1: were your takeaways from that? So, you know, there's a a couple of things there. Uh, And and I'm going to make the case, of course, about why it's not that big of a deal. But at the end of the day, you had tempers boiling over and that matters, right? And I think, like you said, it's a representation of the fact that the team is sputtering and they don't know how to stop it. Part of it, I would say, is goes into where they're at pitching-wise. Uh, I really believe if they had pitching. I know the offense has been inconsistent, but what offense isn't inconsistent aside from a couple teams uh, when you get to the dog days? Uh, I just think you look at the situation there. Their pitching is not great. Uh, you have players like Manny Machado who have been for- performing well. Tatis is still an MVP finalist, uh, probably still the favorite by a slim margin. And they're kind of sputtering a little bit. You're going to have those tempers flare. But where it all started, I think, was, you know, you, you have somebody like Tatis who you want to help lead your team and not even just by his play on the field, but um, he's the best player, but he's also 22. And it's that difficult juggle of our best players should be leading us but our best player is also a kid and he's still learning a lot of things about the game and uh, in terms of just how to approach it and how to carry yourself and how to endure uh, adversity. Let's, let's be real. How much adversity has Fernando Tatis faced in his big league career, aside from the injuries? Uh, Not much, right? He he has not really dealt with this yet. Zero, I think is is the better answer. So now that he's facing some adversity, his team is struggling a lot and I, I think he's really wearing it. And that's why we saw him, arguing the balls and strikes and that's when tingler comes out there to save him from getting ejected because he knows how important he is to his team and guess what you can't argue balls and strikes as a manager so is instantly ejected yeah. that's where tempers flare because they're saying hey it's not about you man like you just got our manager ejected because you couldn't handle this bad this bad call or this call you disagreed with yeah and it really came from the third base coach initially and then machado was just reiterating it on the flip side i don't think that it's the biggest deal ever I don't think it's mutiny in the Padres clubhouse I think it's good to a degree to see how much they care you have 300 million dollar man arguing with 300 million dollar man because they both want to freaking win that's good the worst thing you can have on a team is indifference and and I talked about that with uh, Niner on the podcast too because he talked about some of the teams that he'd been on that collapsed and a big reason why was because once they finally lost there were guys that already were on their flight home they didn't really care yeah. And, and that's the worst thing that can happen. So at least these guys care. Machado's trying to be a leader. And I think that the message was received. I doubt that Machado and Tatis are are at odds. I, I mean, no, I can't speak not. much. But I do think that there's a little bit of a leadership issue. But this could be what spurs the Machado, you know what? Machado used to be that kid, too. But oh now he's God. 29. You know oh what I'm saying? God. Machado used to be that kid, too. But now he's 29 years old. He's been there. And I think this is going to be what kind of begins the the second phase of Machado's career in that regard as the leader. And, and, and the Padres may have their guy there with Machado. I think that he's going to start stepping up and being that guy. And this could be the microcosm or kind of the, the beginning of that. You think Jace Tingler should be more of that guy? I think so. Personally, it's his job to be that guy, and he's. But not. at the end of the, <clears throat> no, he's not. And it's interesting when you look at the hirings the Padres have gone for the guys that don't have much experience playing or coaching. Um, Get that. Now you couldn't get that before because you weren't good. Yeah. You can get that. Now you don't have to have played. You just have to have been in situations. And there's a lot of different ways that you can get that experience. I I think it's interesting that the last few hirings that they've made, I mean, there's been three managers under uh, AJ Prowler and two of them, very little professional experience in a playing or coaching capacity. I just find that a little bit interesting, especially when you're trying to manage personalities of Manny Machado, who's on pace to become a hall of famer, Fernando Tatis, who's the best, one of the best young players in the game. Uh, There's a lot to manage there. And and I'm never going to say you have to have played. him in great to be a manager. I think some of the best managers are guys that had to figure it out. Kind of like what we were talking about before we recorded is like you and I had to really work uh, to compete with these, big D one guys that were, that were on our team or that we were playing against uh, and, and to be able to, to stand out because we're average and stature and not freak athletes. So we had to really learn mechanics with your, with your stuff, or I had to really learn my swing from both sides to get the most out of it. And I think yeah. that's what kind of helps me analyze the game on a bigger scale. I think a lot of the best managers really understand that. And like Peyton Manning, I don't think would make a great coach. He's even said that himself. He's like, I can't, right. I, I can't relate to a lot of the things that people struggle with. Right.
0: You, you have to have a little bit of dick in you. You have to have some serious asshole. I, I got to take care of myself here. You have to have that flip a switch. You're an alpha now. Peyton Manning doesn't have that. Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But he was, by no stretch, a total alpha on the field. He was never that alpha. Jace Tinkler doesn't have that alpha. Tony LaRusa, hate him as much as you want he can flip that switch and be an asshole.
1: And I think anybody on that team, anybody on, on that Cardinal or Cardinals on that white Sox team, I still associate La Russa with the Cardinals, man, but yeah. anybody on that white Sox team, no matter who you are, if, if La Russa flips that switch, you're shutting the hell up. Oh my God. In, yeah. And, and, and the one guy that didn't, I mean, you're me and Mercedes, it, you know, it, it kind of just showed that it's not going to go well for you. You know, and it, And and I think that's that's one of those things where if Larusa flips a switch, I know that he's been there. And no matter how good I am as a player, I mean, it's hard for me to speak on that because I don't know what it feels like to be one of the best players in Major League Baseball. But I would assume based on a lot of the reaction I've seen, based on a lot of the things that I've heard, Larusa flips that switch. You listen, you listen. And and I think that's that's definitely something that's missing in the Padres clubhouse because that switch should have been flipped Uh, and, and the Padres should have a fire lit under them. And somebody should be, you know, shaking them. The flip side, though, is that I think some of this is out of Jace Tingore's control. You're you're throwing Jake Arrieta out there every fifth day. Oh, you're throwing Vince, Vince Velasquez, Velasquez out there every fifth day, and and that's where I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit. I think a lot of this also rides on the shoulders of A.J. Preller, who has made a bunch of phenomenal moves, but also set them up for failure this year uh, in a lot of ways as well. But injuries have also been unfortunate. So th- there's a lot of factors here, but I think we have to acknowledge all of
0: them. Yeah, it's a top-down thing. And and that's why relatively early on in this podcast, Peter and I wanted to rank the top five executives in baseball because the executives control a lot of things that happen you might not know their name with all 30 clubs. You might, know no, you might know more managers' names than executives, but executives set the bar for the manager who sets the bar for the team, who sets the bar for the farm. Um, just to wrap up the Tatis Machado ordeal, this was a lot more civil than Bryce Harper almost beating the shit out of Jonathan Papelbon. And you could view that as leader and young star. Exactly. The reality is Papelbon was washed at that point. Machado, I agree with you. This is trying to make his way into the next phase of his career where he went from the Fernando Tatis Jr. Firecracker of a young phenom to seasoned veteran leader. It's really hard to make that switch because you used to be that guy, but that can also help you and give you some supreme ability as a leader because you can see eye to eye with the extremely confident phenom that just has to mature.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'm sorry to cut you off. That's the one thing that stands out so much to me is that Tatis, I guarantee you, loved Machado when he was coming up, right? Like Tatis probably idolized him. And and I think Machado is probably looking at him and saying, hey, dude, I know what you're feeling right now. I know the pressure you're feeling. I know what it's like to a degree. And probably he probably even acknowledges that he doesn't 100 percent know because Tatis is on a different level of of eyeballs on him. Uh, But but the one thing I I do really like about it also is that it seems like a small thing. But if you remember Papelbon and Harper, both guys were being held back with Machado. Nobody was holding Machado back. This wasn't, this wasn't a fight. This was more like a big brother kind of trying to get corral his little brother, right? If, if it was a legitimate issue, you would see people holding Machado back. Nobody was holding Machado back. This wasn't a fight. This was more like a, hey, you need to do this. And like, no, leave me alone. Not now, not now. Tatis knew he was right, but he was angry. And he's just like, not now, not now. If it was a real issue, I think we would have seen Machado held back as well. Uh, and that's a really, really big thing that, that stood out to me. That's a fantastic point. And I think it also proves that Machado is more ready than a lot of people think to be a leader. According to his peers. I mean, if you were worried about Machado being that, that igniter uh, in a bad way. You would hold him back. You would hold him back because <laughs> you don't know where this thing's going. We all had teammates like that, where if you see him start to go, we're like, oh, no, 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 no. Yep. Like, relax, relax, relax. And, and that wasn't
0: the case. Yeah, Ken Rosenthal, Dennis Lynn, and Britt Giroli in The Athletic wrote the article, giving you as much detail into that controversy as you could possibly find. That's on The Athletic. Go to either of their you know, personal Twitters to find the link to that article if you want full context. But it was a good deep dive. It's exactly what we needed after two of the highest caliber stars in Major League Baseball clashed in a dugout while their team is imploding. They were put in a position for failure in the second half because they have to run out Jake Arrieta, who was DFA'd, and Vince Velasquez, who was DFA'd. And the Adam Frazier trade didn't work. And you didn't dump Eric Hosmer by the top, by AJ Preller. And Preller is <laughs> I, I texted you this. I He's love J. this R- analogy. He's J.R. Smith. AJ yeah. Preller is J.R. Smith. He shoots a ton of shots. And he's going to make eight bombs of threes. And it's going to be like, holy shit, we got to pay this guy the
1: big bucks. But he's going to miss a lot. In big spots. <laughs> In, big, In spots. big spots. And and that's the thing is, like, I, I think AJ Pro, and it's so easy to micromanage somebody else's front office job, but that's also what we do. And that's what, that's what we're supposed to do, right? So I, I think when you look on a larger scale, he's had some big home runs, right? I mean the Tatis trade that that one buys you about five mistakes, right? Oh, totally. But on the flip side, there's been about five or more of those mistakes. If we look at it just this year alone, I think I made the joke on the last podcast that he netted negative two Scherzers uh, by letting him go to the Dodgers. Uh, maybe they couldn't they couldn't match that, or maybe you know, the Nationals really preferred to package those two guys together. There's more to it than that. I'm not really worried about the Scherzer side of it. I'm more worried about how. You're going to go so deep all in. You're going to deplete what was one of the best farm systems in baseball, which is okay if you're going for it all. And I understand Clevenger's out, and that's not something you could plan for. lamette has been hurt a lot of the year. There's been a lot of issues. But Adam Frazier, for example, everybody and their mom knew that Adam Frazier was going to regress. Did we know that he was going to regress this much? No, of course not. But if you are buying high on a regression candidate, and that's kind of your big move, I just don't understand how you can be surprised. What was weird to me about that move too is like you were basically getting another jerks and profile uh, that didn't really make you, you were getting a jerks and profile with better Babbitt luck. That's basically what you did right there. And that's your big move. That was very surprising to me. I, I saw a bunch of other trades. I thought the Padres could have matched. It seemed like they felt as if they had depleted the farm and didn't want to like put it to zero But at that point, I'm like, if you're, if you're going all in, like you got to go all in. And this is still a team offensively. That's super talented. There's been unfortunate situations with Hosmer not being great. And I don't believe he's the guy that gave Hosmer the deal. Right. Um, There's been some guys like Trent Grisham, not playing to to their capacity, but But he was, he was in 2020. He he was. So I think I look at it. And I I think there was a little bit of complacency here and that's the irony in it is like we're chucking jump shots like crazy. And then we're kind of mum at this deadline when you really need to make it happen. And then it, it caused us to dig into his trade history. Right. And there's been some, some questionable moves throughout the years. Prellers hit big and, and he's been hurt pretty badly uh, with some moves too. Yeah. He has been hurt
0: pretty <clears throat> badly. Um- You know, the way that I kind of look at it is there have been some sneaky good moves as well. Like we talk about the Grisham deal for Luis Arias, who I'm a big fan of Luis Arias, I think that he's a valuable piece on a playoff team. Eric Lauer Mm -hmm. also went over, who is a valuable pitching piece on a playoff team. But Grisham and Zach Davies was the return. Zach Davies helped them get you, Darvish. That's your frontline guy. Okay. That was a great trade for both sides. sides. Yeah, he plays a lot of 3D chess. Um, there are also tough moves. You talked about Max Fried as a minor leaguer for one year of Justin Upton. You know, you think about the Craig Kimbrell, go get him and then immediately rescind. You know, his first move that he ever made, if I'm not mistaken, it was Matt Kemp and Tim Fedorovich for mm-hmm. Yasmani Grandal, Kyle Wheland, and Zach Eflin. Eflin is a legitimate rotation piece yasmani grandal is one of the best catchers in baseball and you got an aging matt kemp and tim fedorovich when preller took over it was i'm gonna win right now and then when that team didn't work he blew it up within a year that's a really hard look in year one and i think that set him back but now you look at him and and listen having just spent a season in the farm in the padres system congratulate me for finishing up my year oh
1: yeah congrats the season's over
0: yeah thanks man uh it was a <laughs> grind but it was very fun there are some really underrated names in this padres system we know about robert hassel but you know i i was texting you about a rubio angeles 19 year old infielder who i really like um tear is my guy such a nice dude he can rip the baseball led high a central in doubles um but they did not fare well Every affiliate finished under 500. That's how you measure a farm. And the farm isn't that good anymore.
1: No, it, it's it's not. It, it really isn't. And again, I, I think that's okay when you're trying to win now. But they had pieces and they still could have made some more moves. And I just think when you look at it that way, are you going to go all the way? Or are you going to kind of get stuck just almost on the precipice? And it seemed like Prowler all of a sudden got a little gun shy. And if you're going to be J.R. Smith, you got to keep being J.R. Smith. Like shooters Mm -hmm. keep shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder if he, he just started thinking about it like, wait, you know, I could really I could legitimately lose my job if I send us into a spiral. I just think for him, there, there's been a lot of, of, of impatience. You talk about the quick the quick one year going all in. And then uh, after that, kind of taking a step back and starting over. And I think this time he's like, okay, well, why don't we try and be more patient? We've got a lot of pitchers coming back next year. I looked at it as, as them kind of somewhat punting this year. I, I think they felt like they had a good enough team to, to possibly make a run. But they weren't going all in knowing that Clevenger going to be back, knowing that a lot of these other pieces are going to be back. And I, I, I saw it as somewhat of a, of a small punt. Some of the other moves I wanted to highlight too, though, how about trading away Trey Turner? Uh, I, I think that's one that uh, y- you got to know what you had there. It, Trey Turner's numbers were spectacular in the minors. One other trade that stands out to me that I don't think gets talked about enough, and, and I don't know what happened here, but that something went wrong uh, on the Padres front office side. They made a trade with the Marlins uh, that included Andrew Kashner, Colin Ray, Um, and other complimentary pieces. And one of the guys they got back was Luis Castillo of the Reds. Now Um, there was other pieces that went over and uh, it it was, it was an interesting trade. I hated it at the time and it ended up aging worse and worse. The Marlins got bailed out because Colin Ray, unfortunately blew up his elbow two innings in Marlins felt like they were issued damaged goods. Um, I don't know how that all works but I've never seen a do back or like a, a a redo in a trade. The Padres were very happy to just leave it at that. And they traded Luis Castillo back to the Marlins for Colin Ray to go back to the Padres, which to me was like the Padres saying, yeah, we kind of knew like we'll we'll wear that one. Like, let's just, let's just pretend it never happened. So that cost them Luis Castillo, but the Marlins then wanted to trade so badly because they hated him. They traded him for Dan Straley over to the Reds Um, and, and look at Luis Castillo now. So right. that was another one of those weird situations. There's just been some of those moves that I just wonder, AJ Prellery just seems a little bit unhinged. He did also fleece the Marlins, though, by trading a 42-year-old Fernando Rodney for Chris Paddock. Though Paddock has not been quite the guy. It doesn't even matter. Paddock could never pitch again, and that's a fleecing in my mind. Yeah. Um, so there's been good moves, but there's also been some, some wild ones. Uh, and, and I think we've definitely seen just – there's not very many GMs that have such – are able to do so many moves that go on the bad category and then still be around long enough to make some good moves uh, as well. Obviously you got to give him credit where credit's due with the Jake Cronenworth trade as well. um, And getting Tommy fam who's down year this year, but fantastic. You know, the last year and a half too.
0: Yeah. the thing is, he is uncharted territory in the age of the general manager. And when the Mariners get good, we're going to look at Jerry DiPoto in, in a very similar way because this guy just wheels and deals, much like A.J. Preller. There is nobody else in baseball that wheels and deals like this. So A.J. Preller is our fourth best executive in baseball. Yes. But a lot of people, I think, would just say, how is he not number one? How is he not number two? Because he misses a lot. And we talked about that when we ranked our top five executives, and we can keep going back to it. He misses a lot. Yes, Tuca Marcano, I know you're not particularly high on. Jack Sawinski, Michelle Miliano, we'll see how that Fraser deal works out. But that wasn't too big of a haul for Adam Frazier. You didn't give up anything. And at the deadline, I mean, there were, there were rumors floating around that it was going to be Hosmer and Hassel somewhere. You kept Robert Hassel. That could be the center fielder of the future for you. That could be a corner outfielder of the future for you. He has held on to his assets, and some things are beyond his control. Mackenzie Gore having the year that he's had this year, that's not A.J. Preller's deal. That's, that's a Mackenzie Gore thing. So, yes, he's the fourth best executive in baseball, but there's a very steep drop-off between him, who makes a lot of really good deals, maybe more so than many other GMs in the game, but makes more bad deals than many other GMs in the game. And then the next wave of Friedman of Neander of David Stearns in Milwaukee, these guys, they don't miss this often.
1: That's the thing. And and these guys make the smaller deals that make an impact. I, I would like to see more of the Cronenworth type deals, uh, with the Padres. And I know I'm not saying I want every deal to come, come out as a success like Cronenworth, but you can make smaller deals and have successes. It doesn't always have to be this massive splash. Uh, and it seems like that's all that that he knew for a while uh, because he jumped in and the Padres were like, we want you to do big things. We're going to give you a lot of money, uh, flexibility, go crazy. And that 2014-15 offseason, I think the worst thing you could do as a team is, is tell your GM, just go crazy. Because yeah. then they, they really, I think, don't look at the intricacies and all the little things that go into a deal and are more focused on the names. And, and I saw the Marlins do it in 2012 when they went and got Jose Reyes and Heath Bell and all these guys that just were not it, not it. And uh, I think that's what 2014-15 was for them uh, when you're acquiring Will Middlebrooks as the third baseman of the future, when, you know, we mentioned Craig Kimbrell and Melvin Upton and those pieces and Matt Kemp. And it just, those were, those were names. Those were not players that were trending in the right direction. Hindsight's 2020. But I remember even at the time being like, well, what are they doing here? This is, this is not a team that's going to be built for success. And I I think that's exactly what we saw. Uh, But then even some of the smaller deals, not knowing what you had with Emmanuel class A. I thought that was interesting, but then they flip around and, and go get Brad hand and steal him away. So there's, there's like, there's so many different little moves there. Uh, But they also then traded hand away and got Francisco Mejia who ended up being a good piece. So it's one of those things where you're going to have to ride that wave with him. Um, And it's either going to be a championship. I really think. Or it's going to come crashing and burning and be really ugly. The farm system is depleted. He's held on to the big pieces like Abrams and, and Hassel and some other guys, uh, but the farm system is not setting them up for a good 10 year plan right now. I no. will say that he was part of what built that farm system, though. So you got to give credit where credit's due there, too. Totally. Totally. Uh, but he depleted it and the team's a fringe wildcard team. So unless these guys that come back next year make a massive difference. Uh, they're going to have a hard time trying to make some major improvements. And it's not like they have the most money uh, flexibility wise in the world either. Uh, So I think this is going to be a really next year, I think it's going to be a big, big year for Prowler uh, where it's either going to start, I think coming crashing down, or they're going to be on their way to, you know, on the precipice of a championship. I really think it's that polarizing real quick before I
0: tie a bow on my Prowler thoughts. uh, Did the name Heath bell bring up very bad memories for you?
1: Yes. And no, um, one, yes, because it was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life on a baseball field. Um, And he's not a likable dude either. Um, And he he was awful. Uh No, because that's also my gamer tag on Xbox. Heath Bell is your Heath gamer tag? Bell. People think I'm Heath Bell all the time. That's awesome. So the second he got signed, I was like, oh, we got this kind of like chunky guy that sprints from the bullpen. That's sick. I thought he was going to be this like, happy-go-lucky dude one i can corroborate that he's not a very happy-go-lucky guy he was the most hated guy on the marlins team uh and two he sucked so yeah it, it was it was not ideal um but i love i've never changed in the heath bell gamer tag i think i've had it for like seven years now on xbox
0: yeah that's awesome my original snapchat name was cal Naughton jr and then I deleted that and I made a new one because I was like, I want people to know who I am, not Cal Dotton yeah, Jr.
1: That would be good. That would be helpful for people want to know who you are.
0: Yeah, my, my final Preller thought is he is under the microscope this year for the very first time because that is the burden of success. He is given expectations this year for the first time in his professional career. Before this, the Padres sucked. They had no expectations. And then they were vastly outperforming their expectations in 2020 when they made the postseason. This year, postseason was the expectation, and they're out of the picture by three and a half games. That is the burden of success. You are given expectations. How can you match those expectations? And next year is the biggest year, like you mentioned, because he is going to have very similar expectations with a healthy Mike Clevenger, with you, Darvish, with a healthy, with a healthy Denelson Lamette, who I think is a supreme talent. Incredible. He's amazing.
1: I really think people are are not highlighting enough how much that just hit them at the kneecaps. Um, yeah. That one really, really hurts. And I really think that they were counting on Gore. Uh, yep. Maybe not going into this year, but about five months before that, they were counting on Gore to potentially be an opening day option for them too, when they were looking at the two-year plan. Uh, yep. So there's definitely been some unfortunate circumstances. And, and I love the, the point that you make that we are being hard on Preller because he set the bar high for himself, which, you know, before we didn't know who AJ Preller was really. So th- exactly. th- this is that is a good point as well. But at the end of the day, you set the bar high for yourself. That's your problem. Pressure's on. All right. He's at RM Leighton eight. I'm at Jack
0: underscore McMullen 11. We are at just BB media on Twitter at just baseball fans on TikTok and Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. Tell us what you like on Apple Podcasts twitch.tv slash just baseball fans uh we've got a discord you can find us there at just baseball what
1: else i if you like the top 100 prospect list i'm working on top 10s now maybe 15 we're gonna see how it works timeline wise but i'm working on the top prospects for each team we're gonna roll them out kind of like one one to two a week cool i'm really excited i think it's gonna be fun Cool. Uh, so you're, you're going to, for your favorite team, I got your top 15 coming up and then we're, we're going to have them for uh, all 30 teams in baseball.
0: You threw me some bones here in the, uh, in the top 100 Canario, as high as he was Alan Serda in the top 100. Uh, I
1: really liked some of those bones that you threw me. So uh, Canar, it's funny. Canario. I actually got a, that was one of those. I was like, really, really that high on, on, on Canario. Um, and, and I got a nice little message from Michael Schwimmer, by the way, uh, from big league advance. And, uh, and he, he said uh, he gave us a thumbs up on the list. He said still way different from theirs, um, but fine. He, he, I, I'll take a Michael Schwimmer endorsement any, any day of the week. I've, obviously, our, our conversations on there are private, but I, I think he wouldn't mind just me saying he gave us a, a thumbs up. So that made me feel really good because coming from somebody like him, um, you know, that that's that's high praise. So yeah. uh, made me feel good about that and schwimmer has an open invite to the
0: pod he knows that we'll get him back on the pod in the off season at the very we, least
1: we mentioned it we mentioned it at when when we launch uh just prospects coming up kind of soon a little teaser there in the next couple of weeks uh schwimmer will be one of the guests perfect all right talk to you guys tomorrow